Ladies and gentlemen, good day and welcome to the conference call with Mr. Soma Sekhar Ramori, Senior Director at Crystal Rating, hosted by Investec India. And I'll hand the conference over to Mr. Mukul Kotra from Investec Capital Services. Thank you and over to you, sir. Good morning, everyone. Uh, we have with us uh, Mr. Shon Sekhar Ramori from uh, Crystal today. Uh, at Crystal, he is responsible for criteria and other development for the rating business. Uh, in this role, he leads a team of analysts that formulates rating criteria across sectors such as manufacturing, infrastructure, financial, and structured finance. He is also responsible for ensuring quality and consistency of ratings and holding interactions with investors and regulators. Soam has over 14 years of experience in credit rating. He has also worked with the Caribbean Information and Rating Services Limited on secondment from Crystal, leading a team of analysts responsible for assigning ratings to companies, which, which is itself a part of a large financial services group in the Caribbean region. Uh, so, you've just published your rating roundup, which we've distributed to clients uh, through email, so they should have it in their inbox. Where expectedly you witnessed a worsening of credit, uh, credit ratio, and the credit ratio has fallen below one now. More importantly, you've categorized 35 sectors, which represent 23 lakh crore of rated debt. Uh, and, and the conclusion was that roughly 4% of the rated debt is highly vulnerable, and 52% is of medium resilience. Uh, could you just, uh, you know, give uh, the, the listeners on the call today a brief, uh, you know, introduction to the studies and the conclusions from it? Thanks, thanks, Kukul, and uh, thank you for uh, having me on this uh, conference. Uh, and uh, good morning to everyone who's joining the call. Uh, so, uh, in order to look at the impact of this pandemic, uh, COVID-19, and, and how it is likely to impact uh, the credit profiles of uh, various rated entities that we have, uh, what we did was we, we undertook a study uh, of, across uh, more than 3,000 companies uh in 35 different sectors that uh, uh, account for almost 71% of the rated debt in our uh, uh, portfolio of non-financial sector companies. Uh, so it's a fairly representative sort of a study uh, that we uh, uh, undertook. In, in this study, uh, you know, one aspect we looked at was uh, clearly what will be the near-term immediate impact maybe in the Q1 of uh, uh, erosion of cash flows due to the lockdown. Uh, and uh, that uh, said, that that uh, analysis revealed that uh, barring about seven out of these 35 sectors, remaining 28 of them, uh, were likely to uh, uh, see medium to high uh, level of impact on revenues because obviously there is a lockdown and uh, companies are not able to uh, carry on their operations. Uh, so the seven uh, sectors are uh, about 15% of the rated day in our portfolio. Uh, but given that you have uh, released in the form of RBI announcing uh, uh, moratorium and hence uh, at least taking the pressure off from a, from a debt servicing perspective uh, over uh, till, till May 31st. So we, we then uh, also looked at what is the likely uh, the situation uh, if you look a little beyond the moratorium and, and look at uh, the resilience. Uh, of these uh, sectors in terms of the ability of them to sustain the lockdown and bounce back to production in post-COVID scenario and what, what sort of time it will take uh, for the demand uh, in, in the sector to uh, recover to normal capacity. So uh, the, that's what we try to do in terms of the resilience uh, and uh, that's uh, what Mukul was uh, highlighting. So broadly, uh, the, the key conclusions uh, that emerged from uh, our study was that uh, about 45% of Debt is in sectors uh, that uh, that have a high degree of uh, resilience. Uh, 52% is uh, residing in sectors which have uh, medium uh, resilience, and uh, uh, around about 4% of the debt is uh, in sectors which is in the least resilient category. If you look at high resilience, it includes sectors such as pharma, fertilizers, oil refineries, power. Uh, and gas distribution and transmission uh, sector, which are uh, essentially uh, uh, process services that are, uh, uh, you know, essentially in nature, the demand is reasonably non-discretionary, and in some of the sectors, there is uh, government support as well. So, sectors such as telecom and FMCG are uh, likely to see the least impact and, and uh, may, uh, may impact, uh, in fact, see a demand pick up uh, after, after the, the disruption uh, moves on. 
Uh, if you look at the medium resilience sector uh, categories, we include auto manufacturers, power generators, roads, and construction. Uh, essentially, here, uh, while while there will be uh, moderate to high disruption during the lockdown on account of uh, uh, the, the uh, near-term disruption to cash flow, uh, some of the mitigants here include uh, the fact that uh, there are strong balance sheets or liquidity, which which is uh, cushioning uh, them in the, in the near to medium term, and uh, there is a likely to be a stronger recovery in demand, uh, uh, which which uh, will uh, augur well for these sectors. Coming to the least resilient sectors, which is uh, about 4% of the tech, these include the airlines, gems and jewelry, auto dealers, real estate, and the steel sector. And here, uh, due to the uh, weak balance sheets or the discretionary nature of the goods and services, uh, is where uh, it falls into the least resilience kind of uh, uh, category. Now, uh, some of the assumptions that uh, you know we've had, like obviously, uh, this is a pandemic which we have not seen uh, ever before, uh, and, and uh, there is nothing uh, in living memory which at least uh, serves as uh, uh, kind of a model with, with uh, which you can make certain assumptions. So, in that sort of a context, you made certain assumptions for carrying out this study. Uh, which is that uh, the lockdown will last for about one to two months and it will take around about maybe a month and a half for uh, the normalcy uh, to kind of uh, return to some kind of a new normal. It may not come back to uh, its original state, but uh, to, to a new normal, uh, you know, things may not spring back to normalcy the day the lockdown is lifted. So that's been, uh, you know, the, the base case assumption in terms of uh, how we were looking at uh, this whole thing panel. Uh, so, so that's that's what I would like to add. If, if, if the situation uh, changes and if we see lockdown continue for a longer time, obviously uh, uh, some of the conclusions of this study will need to change. You will see more um, uh, sectors probably slipping, slipping into the uh, least resilient uh, category. So, uh, uh, so what I was saying is, you know, uh, since this pub, uh, study was published into the lockdown period, you had some insight into what was going on. Uh, what is the proportion of credit uh, that fell into sub-investment grade uh, uh, post-COVID or entry into COVID when you compare it to pre-COVID? So again, too early to kind of uh, say, uh, and, and uh, you know, uh, when we look at our rating process, we look at uh, information cooperation from the entities that we rate. So we need to uh, look at how they are uh, uh, seeing things, what is the current liquidity position. So some of that uh, will depend on cooperation from the clients and, and given the lockdown scenario, uh, I mean, uh, you would also appreciate that it would have been possible for us to reach out to all our clients. But uh, we, we have seen that at a broad level, I mean, uh, uh, our, our median rating, uh, we know which was in the double B category, uh, we have uh, almost two-thirds of our uh, rated companies in our uh, portfolio, almost 10,000 companies we rate in our portfolio which are cooperative in nature. And, and uh, almost two-thirds of these uh, companies are the sub-investment grade. Median rating is a double B. And there has not been any material shift in the last, you know, 45 days uh, to that sort of a position uh, so far. Got it. Uh, um, you know, one thing that I just did notice in your study is that um, the GDP growth estimate in, in the study itself is three and a half percent. So while the correlation may not be perfect to how you're estimating GDP to how you're rating, there, there's got to be some influence on assumptions you made, uh, you know, uh, which, which is giving some direction to the, the rating. Uh, so, and you know, just correlating it to the first thing that you said, that 50% of the medium resilience debt is what is worth watching, uh, if assumptions, assumptions change. Um, you know, so the obvious question that comes is how much of this 52% medium resilience debt is at risk if, if, uh, if, if, if our economic assumptions get downgraded, especially when it comes to the two large sectors in the medium resilience sector, which is construction and industry. So if you could just give us some idea of, you know, what is at risk out here from the medium resilience category as uh, as the GDP growth estimate gets downgraded. So even uh, at a very nascent stage, uh, uh, we cut down uh, our economic research wing cut down uh, GDP estimates to 35 and shortly thereafter they brought it down to 1.8%, again with a downside result. So it's not that 1.8% uh, is a very... Uh, uh, strong sort of a number. It has a fairly high degree of downside, and it is it is uh, 
also factoring in uh, uh, a couple of uh, uh, you know uh, uh, aspects. One is that oh, it will be a normal monsoon, so that's the uh, assumption that we are going with. Second is the fact that uh, you know there is some degree of fiscal trend and stimulus that has been painted into into the assumptions, uh, roughly about three and a half lakh crore at least. So. Uh, if uh, uh, you see surprises on uh, either of these funds, I mean, you could you could see uh, um, downside to this, uh, to this, and and also uh, in terms of the lockdown itself, uh, you know, what I outlined as the the base case assumption is what has been baked into this number. So again, uh, if uh, things uh, uh, are uh, going to be more prolonged, then this has uh, a little bit of downside. So even when we were doing our uh, study of sectoral resilience. I think we we had at the back of our mind that there is a downside risk here. So to that extent, at least at this juncture, uh, you know, we we um, we, we uh, believe that some of these conclusions still hold. Uh, coming to uh, specifically the, the the couple of sectors that you have uh, uh, wanted me to address, construction and industrial. Uh, we, yes, uh, I think uh, uh, some of the uh, aspects here uh, are, are uh, that uh, you know in the construction space, especially uh, the availability of labour could be a challenge. You see that uh, in quite a few places the migrant labour is shifting and uh, going back to um, the, the villages, and, and hence when will they return? When will they come back? Are all uncertainties which are there. But that said, uh, uh, you know uh, these are. Uh, 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 there is there is uh, a fairly uh, high degree of uh, debt which is sitting on uh, NHA which is also being baked in here. Uh, so uh, if you remove that, the quantum of debt which is sitting in the sector is, is much, much lower. And uh, a reasonable proportion of the debt is also in the form of non-fund-based facilities, in the form of performance guarantees, etc., which are given. So uh, given the disruption which has been caused, uh, and, and uh, you know, we, we we believe that it is unlikely performance guarantees will be invoked, even though some certain timelines, etc., milestones may be missed. Uh, because uh, you know, on the other side, the counterparties are largely uh, you know government authorities. So we believe that you know, from that perspective, uh, some of those risks would be a little bit lower. But yes, I mean, we would see that uh, it, you know, the the the, the uh, recovery could take a little bit longer. Uh, uh, to, to come back, and working capital cycles also could get stretched, uh, especially uh, given the fiscal uh, situation at the government. Uh, coming to industrials, uh, you know, which includes capital good companies, uh, clearly uh, there will be demand as well as working capital challenges. Uh, you know, where incremental order flow is likely to be weak, uh, as, as both the private sector and to some extent even government also may postpone capex. Uh, uh, and uh, uh, there could be uh, delay, uh, risk of delayed payments, uh, you know, for both uh, domestic and export markets. But again, a uh, lot of these companies uh, that we rate, uh, at, at least the uh, ones which have uh, larger quantum of debt, uh, are the ones which, which enjoy stronger parentage. So to that extent, from a credit profile perspective, we believe there will be a decent amount of cushion uh, that, that they will receive uh, on account of uh, strong parentage. So even though if they're uh, own standalone profiles uh, based on their uh, own PNLs and balance sheets could look uh, you know, weaker. Uh, but given given uh, the presence of stronger parents, uh, I think I think the credit profiles uh, uh, would not see a very very sharp sort of thing. In fact, that's why they reside in the uh, medium resilience pocket where there could be vulnerability, but but it is not going to be uh, very very sharp. Okay, this is uh, this is a very heartening song. Uh, 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 you know, the, uh, moving on just to, you know, a slightly longer term history, the, the interesting part is that we we are already coming off a very, very, you know, I would say strong and solid credit cycle on the corporate side. Um, so that definitely gives some cushion as you get into this, you know, uh, uh, this risky phase as well. Having said that, you know, just to dimension it in terms of numbers and what you see, uh, versus, you know, what we are, the rating profile of companies you see, see today, how would you compare that to the, the prior inflection point which maybe happened in 2015-16, where a substantial portion of corporate credit slipped? The risk was different at that time because banks were doing extend and pretend, evergreening, uh, but, you know, nevertheless, it left a substantial amount of credit slipping. How do you compare the rating, rating profile at that time to now or any other point in history to give uh, 
uh, get clients some color sense of what's coming. So, um, if, if you go back to till 2015, 16 uh, kind of a scenario, uh, let me look at a couple of uh, metrics that we uh, track, uh, just as an indicators of, you know, uh, quality trends. Uh, so, we've looked at uh, interest coverage ratio, which is nothing but the EBITDA to the interest and finance charges. Uh, uh, and uh, we also looked at uh, gearing, which is nothing but uh, uh, debt to network, uh, debt equity uh, ratio. So these are two ratios broadly that we, we uh, have uh, looked at. And uh, we looked at the median uh, level of, uh, you know, almost 6,000 or companies who, who have uh, continued in our portfolio uh, and where we have information uh, uh, across uh, all these years from FI19 all the way till, uh, sorry, FI15. Uh, so, uh, if we, if we look at uh, just the interest coverage ratio, uh, you know, what used to be a million level of two and a half times, uh, actually steadily kept improving over a span of time at the standard, uh, almost close to three times by FI19. If you look at the uh, gearing ratio, it used to be 1.3 times, it also kept on improving uh, all the way to 1.07, and our estimate says it would have, uh, you know, been closer to 0.9 times as of FI20. So this clearly indicates that, uh, you know, over the last five years, uh, given that uh, there have been uncertainties in terms of uh, of demand, uh, corporates have been uh, very cautious in terms of uh, capex spend, uh, and and that has uh, resulted in the balance strengthening uh, reflected in both these uh, ratios, uh, you know, uh, showing uh, an improvement. So uh, they are they are in a better position, uh, you know, currently uh, compared to what they were, uh, you know, in, in 2015. Also, uh, I mean, 2015, uh, what you are highlighting is is a, a year where RBI started its asset quality review and uh, started forcing banks to recognize, you know, um, uh, stressed assets uh, as non-performing assets. So stress was already building up. It was not that the stress started. At that point in time, you know, you had uh, uh, various uh, uh, acronyms. You had the restructure standard as a RSA, you had SDR, uh, S for A, and then uh, CDR, various, various uh, acronyms which were there, and uh, banks were uh, trying to uh, see whether they can restructure the debt uh, and, and uh, uh, hope for economic recovery to uh, happen and, uh, uh, you know, this is stressfully addressed. Uh, but uh, obviously the recovery was uh, tepid and, uh, you know, it was not, not uh, uh, able to take the stress assets uh, 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 out of stress. So, uh, RBI forced the banks to sort of start recognizing NBA. So, the build-up started happening from 2011, 12, 13 itself. Uh, and, and finally started coming to roost and then started showing up as NPS in, in 1516 and 1617 and so on. Uh, but, but the stress actually started showing up much, uh, uh earlier. Uh, uh, even, even if you look at, uh, you know, the, the, the other, uh, the period of stress which, which most people, uh, uh, try and go back to is the global financial crisis. Uh, even at that juncture, if you look at the Indian context, uh, it was much different. Uh, you know, this was an imported uh, crisis, global uh, uh, financial crisis. It emanated in in US and then spread across the world, but largely a financial market uh, uh, driven one. For a brief while, there was the tight liquidity in the Indian markets, and uh, over a span of time, with regulatory and policy support, uh, I, I think the, the there was a V-shaped recovery which happened uh, uh, in the economy. Uh, and economic activity did not come to a standstill. Economic activity was still still going on, but it was not. It was maybe slower. And and uh, the policy support ensured that you know we had a V-shaped recovery. Uh, this time around, you know, it's a health crisis, which is uh, which is which is the main main cause, and that has uh, resulted in lockdown and economic activity pretty much coming to a standstill. Uh, so situation is quite uh, different uh, right now compared to what probably it was. Uh, even in 2008. Yeah, so, you know, so this, so, you know, I think the best anchor for us at this point, as you mentioned, is our leverage uh, metrics rather than comparisons. I mean, because we don't know what is coming, but uh, there's safety and how much leverage you carry in the balance sheet, and that's a fair comment. Uh, you know, uh, so we just want to actually move on to uh, uh, the moratorium process. I'm not sure how much you're getting informed uh, or how much you sort of uh, real-time information you get on this. 
But if you do, uh, if you can just let us know how many uh, of, of the latest companies are opting for moratorium. And, you know, once we, once we can answer that, we can just get into some more questions on that. I think you're still collecting that information, uh, so it's going to be difficult to put a number to it. But, uh, you know, uh, we, we have an even number of companies are opting for moratorium, which are, and ones which are not opting for moratorium. And, um, you know, there's a fairly sizable uh, number of companies where we have not uh, been able to kind of uh, speak to them and understand whether they're opting for a moratorium or not. But what we understand is, you know, uh, while, while different banks have different policies, some have opt-in, some have opt-out, uh, but by and large, if a corporate is approaching a bank for uh, moratorium, I think... Uh, uh, more or less, they are being given that. Uh, barring the the the, the NDSCs, uh, uh, if you keep that sector aside, for the other uh, you know normal uh, uh, manufacturing or uh, infra sector companies, uh, that's that's what we understand. So to that extent, I mean, if, if the company uh, wants to avail of a moratorium, by and large, banks have been uh, 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 you know uh, giving them the moratorium. They have not been denied. Uh, the moratorium so far. And, uh, you know, in terms of uh, uh, the companies that you know have been getting moratorium, what is, is there any correlation uh, in the credit ratings and the companies asking for moratorium? That is the retail ones, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, not, uh, not actually. And, and uh, um, I mean, at least uh, we don't think it is I mean, taking the moratorium is a sign of weakness or not taking it is a sign of strength. I don't think we would, we would, we would uh, come to any such inference at this juncture. I mean, uh, what we need to keep in mind is, I mean, there is a very big disruption that has happened. So, uh, we've seen that even the, the, the you know, very uh, large and uh, highly rated ones, uh, maybe even AAA companies, have also, uh, some of them have opted for moratorium even though they are sitting on liquidity because obviously they want to, uh, see how the situation pans out. They've not uh, uh, seen it before, so they want to conserve whatever liquidity is there. And on the other hand, we've also seen uh, some companies, smaller companies, maybe rated double B, uh, good number of them have not opted for moratorium. So again, it is not a, an indication or a reflection of either strength or weakness on the balance sheet. It is basically trying to be you know a bit more cautious is the way we would sort of put it. So uh, we would not read uh, you know beyond a point too much into. Uh, that that uh, decision whether to avail a moratorium or not uh, in terms of our uh, analytics. You know, on the NBFE side, very interesting sort of you know a few slides on uh, how you think that if the NBFEs are granted moratorium, most most of them, but I think the three percent is a figure which is at risk in that case. Most of them are not at risk. Given how this entire debate around moratorium for NBFC has transpired. Does it change your thinking any bit? I mean, I think LBI has lately said that they will run to everybody. But, you know, has, has any of your thoughts around the NDFC uh, stability change? So, uh, clearly, I mean, we were looking at uh, it from, if you look at uh, just the moratorium aspect, uh, uh, you know, we, we've uh, uh, seen that uh, while, while RBI has not said anything about uh, whether banks can give in moratorium to NDFC or not, there was some confusion, uh, which was there, uh, you know, some of the bigger banks, uh, you know, took a call not to offer moratorium to NDFCs and then subsequently there was a representation which uh, went to RBI and so on and so forth. And, and later on, RBI clarified that they, it is up to the bank's boards and their policies. Uh, RBI neither said don't give uh, or said yes. So, so it's left to the individual banks which are there. So again, uh, it is an evolving situation. So far, I think, uh, yes, there, because of this confusion, a lot of banks have uh, been in a wait and watch mode. Uh, in uh, light of that, I think what we have done was we've looked at, uh, you know, almost 100 of our uh, rated NDSCs that account for almost 90% of the industry uh, AUM. Uh, and we, we tried to kind of look at what is the current liquidity which is available with these NDSCs uh, in the form of uh, cash and bank balances, uh, or unutilized bank lines. And we know that what is the debt repayment that they have, come, you know, upcoming over the next uh, couple of months. I mean, we, by, by the time we were, uh, the moratorium was announced, we were already towards the end of March. So we looked at April and uh, May primarily. Uh, and, uh, you know, even in the month of March, most of the NDCs were able to report decent amount of collections because they were not 
as impacted by the lockdown. Uh, now, uh, given that you know they also had to offer moratorium to their customers, um, uh, hence you know on the asset side the collections would have been fairly low. So, in that sort of a context, you know we have uh, looked at uh, 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 this liquidity cover, assuming that uh, there won't be any collections which come from from the asset side. How would how would the NDC stay? Uh, so, we've looked at this liquidity cover. Uh, and and uh, we see that if if the banks were to offer a moratorium, uh, uh, you know, almost 75 percent of the companies that we uh, have studied would have a liquidity cover of more than three times, uh, and uh, only three percent of the companies would have a liquidity cover of less than one time. And even these three percent of the companies uh, are uh, those which have very strong parentage. So in terms of financial flexibility and being able to raise. Fresh funds, they would they would be fairly well positioned. So I think situation was looking, you know, fairly uh, comfortable if if the moratorium was uh, offered to them. But if you if you look at a situation where uh, you know there was no moratorium on bank debt and and uh, stay with the two months sort of uh, time frame. So compared to uh, 75% of the companies which which have uh, you know high degree of cover of more than three times, uh, that number uh, comes out 37%. Whereas the the number of companies which have uh, equity cover one time uh, from 3% it increases to uh, 11%. And obviously, if you were to increase that to the three month period with no more time, uh, you know, things would look even even uh, weaker compared to that. Uh, that said, I think what we have seen is, uh, you know, are they also come in and uh, uh, offer a TLTRO specifically towards the uh, NUC? While yes, the first tranche was not. Uh, successful, uh, I said that they are uh, reviewing it. Second, they have clarified that you know banks can offer moratorium. So to that extent, we will we are still uh, uh, trying to figure out uh, what has been the progress from that front. Uh, and the third is, I mean, uh, quite a few of these companies uh, are are trying to get you know additional lines from from the bankers uh, to show up their liquidity and then tie over uh, the near term. And the last point I would want to also highlight is it is not that uh, all asset classes are seeing zero collections. I think uh, depending on uh, uh, different asset classes, I think we have seen uh, different companies uh, report collections anywhere from uh, 25% to 50% to 60-70% also, even in the month of April. Um, so, uh, so those are the other aspects that we need to keep in mind. It's, it's, a, it's an evolving uh, sort of environment at this juncture. Uh, uh, thanks, Tom. So, before I open up, I'll just request, uh, uh, you know, Karthik, who's our banking analyst, uh, uh, to give, to put some context into what we've heard today. And uh, he, he's also done some work around, you know, uh, uh, you know, the, the debt, the leverage of corporate, uh, corporate in the cycle. So, uh, I'll just request Karthik to say a few things before we open it up. Okay, Karthik? Thanks, Mukul. Um, uh, good morning, everyone. Um, I'll, I'll broadly cover three uh, uh, different uh, cuts. So, uh, triangulate the top-down approach of uh, uh, overall sectoral ratings uh, to a more bottom-up uh, uh, conclusions towards how each of the banks and uh, uh, most importantly the material larger ones are placed. Um, and in, in that process, I'll also probably ask a couple of questions to Som if, if you if you're okay with that. And then we can open it up to the general Q&A. Uh, the first question, uh, the first data point that we are all, uh, as equity market participants, obsessed is the overall rating mix of uh, of the uh, banking system. Uh, so there are a couple of uh, ways in which we try to look at this. Uh, we've looked at the uh, RBI disclosures that they report in their financial stability report. Uh, we obviously looked at the uh, rating mix which rating agencies provide and we've also looked at the disclosures by the uh, uh, 25 to 30 large uh, banks uh, that report this number on a regular basis. Uh, what we've come up with from a bottom-up perspective is roughly about 10% uh, of the uh, debt at a banking system level um, is um, uh, sudden investment grade um, at this point of time, it, it, it varies between uh, uh, about a three to thirteen uh, percent between various banks. Um, and when you look into this number from a various banking cohorts, uh, what you would very clearly see is the 
despite the near 20-25% NPA recognition by the PSU banks, some of the weaker PSU banks continued to have a very high level of sub-investment grade exposure. Uh, secondly, the large banks, which are the uh, larger top four or five private sector banks, um, are at the lower end of this number, closer to about 5%. And you have the regional and the mid-tier peer private banks uh, in the uh, 6 to 7% range. Uh, this is based on the disclosures that uh, we, we've, we've got from banks as well as the bottom-up analysis that we've done. Uh, so, the question that I had to you... Uh, was that uh, what we've been seeing is that the probability of default of the sub-investment grade book has been material for, uh, let's say, the large corporate banks that we've been tracking. And there's a continuous addition to the uh, uh, to this pool over the last uh, uh, several years. It, it, it's not been coming down. So the question to you, uh, Tom, is uh, what do you what is your backtested probability of default for the various broad rating profile that you have, um, and if you may share the rating mix of the 23 uh, lakh crores of debt that you currently have. So, uh, you know, we we uh, publish. Uh, uh, these, these default rates, uh, you know, uh, every year. So let me come back to you specifically on on uh, what are the default rates uh, which which uh, which are there across uh, various uh, rating categories. Uh, coming to uh, uh, the, the 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 you know the 35 sectors uh, again uh, at a it, it, it will be in terms of number of companies uh, almost 3,000 odd companies. And uh, that would uh, have a fair degree of uh, uh, um, representation from the sub-investment grade as well uh, in terms of number of companies. Would broadly mimic what we had in our portfolio roughly about two-thirds uh, uh, is what is the number of companies uh, that that we have uh, uh, as, as sub-investment grade. I'll uh, come back to you on the, on the report rates. Maybe if you could share the mix of the universe in terms of, let's say, the 560 brackets of AAA and A, A plus, triple B and sub-investment grade, if that's available readily. So, in terms of default rates, if we look at it, uh, 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 and I'm looking at, and I'm looking at the last uh, 10 years, uh, uh, you know, uh, default default rates observed for average check of the last 10 years. So for a triple A it is zero uh, percent. For a double A it is zero point zero two percent. I'm talking about one year default rate. And uh, single A category is point two percent. A triple B is about point eight six percent. So triple B category to triple A is broadly referred to as the investment grade. Coming to double B category, which is the start of the sub-investment grade, the one year default rate is about three point five four percent, and uh, single B is eight percent. And uh, things the C category is about 20 and a half percent. I would want to also kind of highlight that, uh, uh, you know, um, the, the definition of default which we, uh, follow, uh, from our rating comments, uh, is, is far much more stringent than what you would see in terms of the NP recognition for the bank. Uh, we follow something which is called as a single rupee, single day, uh, policy for recognizing default, which means that if there is a term loan or a, you know, bond where there is a repayment which is due on a particular date and the company does not make the payment, uh, in full on that day, uh, that tantamounts to default. Whereas, uh, in the banking parlance, the NPA is recognized, uh, 90 days, uh, uh, you know, uh, on a 90 day pass due kind of a basis. So, if the delay or uh, default continues for beyond 90 days, then it becomes an NPA. So that is a very big uh, sort of a delta that I would also want to kind of uh, highlight. Uh, and, and this is, uh, these are the default rates that we see uh, on uh, our portfolio uh, may not necessarily represent the overall rating uh, industry. We wanted to look at uh, the interest power for uh, the companies rated. And what we've noticed is there is a good mix of uh, companies with AAA and AA rating which have an interest cover less than one. Uh, and the broad number that we have looking at the overall uh, uh, 
pool of loans which have less than one uh, interest coverage about 10 lakh crore, uh, that is rupees 10 trillion. How, how do you look at this number uh, in the overall scheme of probability of default and also the original point around how could a company with less than one IC have a chip day or a double rating? I mean, unless and until uh, they, I know which of the specific companies, I wouldn't, it would be difficult for me to kind of uh, offer a generic uh, sort of a response and, and we typically don't uh, discuss uh, individual companies. But let me give a, a broader sort of a perspective. When we look at our credit ratings, uh, yes, uh, one of the main aspects is the company's own uh, profile in terms of, uh, you know, uh, its P&L, its balance sheet, uh, and uh, how it's stacked up uh, uh, on, a, on a relative basis vis-a-vis -vis other, other uh, entities uh, operating in that sector which we refer to as a standalone credit uh, profile. On top of it, we overlay uh, something called as, uh, uh, you know, distress support, uh, which if, if it is a company which is owned by a very strong parent and the parent is standing fully behind uh, the entity and, and uh, has been supportive of the entity in the past in terms of funding fusion, uh, offering guarantees for its debt and so on and so forth. And, uh, you know, we expect that entity to also, uh, the parent to come in and uh, support even in uh, times of stress. So then there is a research support also which is uh, sort of built in. Uh, so even though the standalone profile of the company may be by itself uh, weak, um, uh, you know, if, if, the, if it is uh, strategically a very, very important entity for the parent and if the parent is committed to uh, providing uh, whatever support is, is required. So then the rating uh, gets notched up for the stronger parent. Uh, it could be a government uh, in, in, in uh, if uh, the parent is a government, so then it is uh, notched up for the government. Uh, or it could be uh, a group in situations where there is no single identifiable parent, but there is a broad sort of a, a group of companies, uh, let's say like the Tata Group or Billa Group kind of uh, uh, where, where there is no single dominant kind of a shareholder. So, uh, these are aspects which, which also get reflected into the rating that we assign. So, uh, it need not necessarily be just a standalone profile uh, which, which uh, will impact the ability of the company to retain, but also uh, the, the, the support which they are expected to receive from their parents or the government as the case may be. Uh, you very clearly mentioned that the credit ratio is weakened uh, 2.77. Possible to give what has been the downgrade into the subinvestment grade, uh, uh, additional addition to the subinvestment grade book for this exercise? Uh, I won't have that cut really available with me, uh, but uh, I think uh, if you look at, uh, and, and it's too, too early, I mean, uh, we, we published this number for six-month period, uh, ended March 31st, and it's been just, you know, 40, 45 days uh, from that point of time. So we are seeing that the number of downgrades are much, much higher than the number of upgrades in the 45-day period. Uh, well, I don't have a specific number uh, right now, uh, but uh, clearly it is on the downside. And, uh, you know, from, from uh, investment rate slipping into some investment rate, again, it is not something which is very sharply different from what we probably have seen in the past. It could be slightly higher, but but not not very sharply sort of a different at this juncture. Uh, yeah, hi. Uh, thanks uh, for the comments and presentation. Uh, I just had two questions. Uh, first, uh, if you refer to your uh, slide uh, back uh, on 11, uh, what we see is uh, when the moratorium is extended by one more month uh, and if banks don't uh, provide moratorium to the NBFCs, uh, uh, almost 64% of them have covered less than uh, two times on liquidity. Uh, so, uh, I mean, I just wondered your comments around, uh, you know, given that we've had an extended lockdown and uh, uh, also the fact that, uh, you know, uh, when we've had companies talk about uh, sort of the liquidity uh, being challenged, uh, especially in the sector, uh, what is the probability that uh, we may see higher downgrades uh, from from this sector uh, as we move uh uh, in the next few months and a uh, potential risk of uh, default. Uh, just your comments around on the stress scenario, if you extend it beyond two months, what is the kind of impact 
and it would be great if you could provide some data excluding AAA companies, etc. AAA rated companies at this point of time. Uh, what would be the impact? So that is the first one. And the second question I had was on the uh, uh, NRD portfolio. Uh, so we again we are hearing uh, there are some sort of uh, uh, sort of contractual uh, uh, issues around this uh, portfolio, and historically it has been uh, very pristine in terms of uh, uh, asset quality. Uh, just your thoughts: uh, Is there any risk uh, to uh, commercial uh, retail NRD portfolio? Yeah, those are two questions. Thanks. Um, so, uh, in terms of NDFCs, while while uh, you know, um, it, it is important to look at what is the underlying asset class that the NDFC operates in. So, different uh, NDFCs have chosen to operate in uh, different asset classes, and uh, the resilience of the NDFC will uh, depend on uh, how quickly uh the 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 collections uh, kind of uh, resume for uh, their underlying borrowers they are able to undertake the economic activities etc so uh, it, it clearly uh, you know what we are seeing is different asset classes are likely to sort of uh, perform uh, differently so if you look at let us say um, on one side uh, an asset class like say the home loans uh, a large portion of the home loans in the system in the financial system both in the banks as well as in the early finance companies is still uh, on the salary side. So to that extent, and we have not seen uh, job losses or uh, job cuts being uh, announced uh, in any material uh, level so far. Uh, so we expect that uh, the resilience uh, here would be uh, probably amongst the highest compared to uh, various uh, asset classes which are there. Um, uh, if you look at, let us say, uh, gold uh, loan segment again, uh, uh, they are expected to display uh, a decent degree of resilience. While during the lockdown, it may be difficult for borrowers to come, repay, and take back their gold, uh, or for the golden companies to do the auctions. Uh, but uh, once the lockdown gets lifted and, and the branches are open and the borrowers can come uh, to the branches, so we again see that uh, given the gold, that the gold prices have remained high. Uh, there is a decent amount of uh, equity build-up which would have happened on, on the gold loans that the borrowers have uh, taken. And in that sort of a context, we expect them to uh, come back, uh, repay, and then take back their gold. And in case they are not able to uh, uh, repay, then, uh, you know, the gold loan companies will be able to go ahead and auction uh, those uh, uh, gold jewelry. And uh, will be able to, uh, you know, uh, recover pretty much all of their money. So again, Resilience here will be fairly uh, on the higher side, but if you if you look at uh, asset classes uh, such as uh, vehicle loans, um, you know there it will clearly uh, depend on uh, you know the extent of economic activity. You know you'll you'll uh, uh, need need uh, you know uh, the economic activity to uh, sort of start and pick up, and and uh, obviously that will uh, percolate to better fortunes for for uh, the transportation segment. Uh, so that that's something which will be clearly correlated to the you know extent of activity, and likewise uh, you know microfinance and uh, uh, the the MSME uh, segment which includes known as property uh, would also be uh, fairly dependent on the extent of uh, uh, resumption of normal activity. So those are uh, sectors that probably will take longer uh, to to kind of uh, uh, come back. Now, coming to specific NDFCs which operate in various segments, it also depends on their liquidity position to tide over the, the near term, which, which we have uh, discussed in our analysis, and uh, what is the capital positions to kind of uh, take a uh, knock if required uh, if, uh, you know, there is a, a, a higher amount of stress which happens. So that is something which, you know, uh, we, we, we are monitoring uh, uh, very closely. And... Uh, uh, you know, we will we will take necessary rating actions. So far, uh, in, our, in our portfolio, we uh, have uh, you know revised a few ratings to maybe negative outlook or maybe taken downward action by an author. So that's what has been uh, 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 the 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 uh, trend uh, so far. But again, uh, we will we will continue to monitor uh, how the situation comes back to normal, see how the asset classes will behave and how the collection teams of these NDFCs, how effective are they uh, post, post the disruption. Uh, so it is it is an evolving scenario and we will, we will continue to monitor these uh, segments closely. Uh, understood. And uh, would you agree that the last part of the value downgrade uh, over the next few months should happen from uh, these sectors? Uh, would that be a fair assumption? 
clearly uh, you know financial uh, sector entities ngos etc would, would be the ones which have uh, higher quantum of debt uh, relatively speaking uh, and yes if there are uh, you know a few of the larger ngos which get downgraded obviously the, the larger quantum of downgrades will be uh, come from uh, this sector more of so yeah, that's that's the uh, uh nature and uh, orientation of these uh, sectors coming to your other other question that you asked about uh, uh, lrds um uh, so far again we've not seen uh, uh, pressure building uh, but again this is an evolving scenario uh, uh, given the new uh, normal event that our world has been uh, uh, exposed to business uh, bcp or disaster kind of uh, uh, an activity and, and pretty much all of them have uh, uh resorted to work from home and uh, quite a few of the companies seem to be doing fairly well on that side so so some of these are dynamic situations where you know will you require so much space can you uh, have more people working from home uh, uh, those are most uh, long term strategic sort of decisions which will get taken uh, uh, probably uh, so we need to see how how that impacts uh, the lrd uh kind of uh, segment uh, in the market so clearly the kind of dcrs which which are there based on which the learning has happened is what will provide the cushion so you know you, there are some vacancies or some uh, renegotiations on renters if you have a higher dcr you have a better cushion to sort of head uh, over if you have very thin dcrs then i think you will, will probably have uh, issues and and by the way how is the uh, Sort of situation right now as far as the DSTS is concerned. I mean, at an aggregate level, uh, if you could comment a little bit, that would be useful. So most of the banks and NBCs, what they lend would be typically, uh, you know, at a DSTR of 1.1, 1.2 kind of levels. They don't lend uh, anything higher. So the cushion. if at all the maximum 10% but so the, the, when, when uh, some of these come into the the bond markets uh, where typically as uh, a preference is for uh, higher rating i mean there they operated much higher sort of uh, uh dsr levels uh, and uh, there is uh, usually also a provision for liquidity buffers in the form of dsra uh, so those those would typically have much higher cushions in terms of both dsr as well as dsr Sorry, one last follow-up uh, on the uh, so when you say there's 10 to 20 percent cushion, so if you have a, a sort of project where uh, there is uh, let's say 10 percent of vacancy that is created and there is a 10 percent or 20 percent rent reduction, that will impact the bank. Uh, is that correct? Understand? In the uh, the the cushion I was telling you was was a life of the loan, uh, a temporary sort of a for three months or six months if there is a you know vacancy of 10 percent. uh and and 10% renegotiation so will that in itself pull the entire uh, debt into a default probably not uh because you know if you are able to fill up the vacancy over a span of time uh, you would be able to make up for that but if yes if that that sort of a vacancy continues for a fairly longer period of time then then yeah, there could be issues understood thanks thanks yeah hi um in terms of the debt that's uh, rated by by excel uh in terms of value um how much of the debt would be let's say uh 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 sub investment grade how much would be triple b and how much would be a and above rough number in terms of value um in terms of number of companies it is two thirds one third two thirds sub investment grade and one third uh, investment grade but i don't have been in terms of value really really but uh, in terms of value will be probably the other way around the Where a very broad maybe two thirds investment rate, one third some investment rate, maybe even higher in terms of investment rate because typically the the companies which are stronger also tend to be the ones which are uh, larger, so they will probably have the have larger quantum of debt. So in terms of uh, quantum, it would be probably the other way. Understood. So let's say let's say twenty twenty five percent is some investment rate. Um, Out of that four five percent, you think is the most vulnerable. So because you said that four four percent is the least resilient, would most of that be in already uh, sub investment rate, or a lot of that is not in sub investment rate and could get into sub investment rate? So we we looked at it more in terms of sectors when we have done this analysis of uh, 
you know, given that uh, you've already stated that it's early to say what downgrade could happen in the sector, but when you envisage uh, that downgrade could be high enough for risk rates to increase for banks and, you know, have some sort of an impact on capital going forward, uh, is that a situation which could arise in the next, you know, three, six months? Yeah, so, uh, I mean, uh, if, if the question is, would RBI revisit uh, the risk rates uh, for the uh, ratings? I am not sure that is likely to happen, but I mean, RBI would be the right person to answer. But yeah, if the question is, you know, uh, let us say a double A minus trips to an E plus, so the risk rate changes from 20 to 30 percent, and hence the risk rate asset increases. Yes, that is, that is uh, you know, uh, uh, very much uh, possible. Uh, you, we, 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 uh, believe that the outnumber, the downgrades will outnumber the upgrades, so you will, you will see, uh, some instances where, uh, the, the companies may get into a different rating category, which attracts, uh, higher. So that is, that is, uh, bound to happen. Now, it will be difficult at this juncture to kind of, uh, precisely figure out how much could be the impact, but, uh, it is bound to happen. Right. And just, uh, so, uh, you also spoke about, uh, you know, uh, over 2016 to now, the, the interest coverage ratio for for the for your uh, you know data set coming down significantly, and even the gearing coming down. Uh, if you could give some sense on whether this is broad based, whether you know it is driven by certain sectors, certain specific rating categories, you know, that will be helpful. Yeah, so what we have tried to do is uh, instead of looking at an aggregate picture, which is just take the sum of all uh, uh, numerators and sum of all denominators, uh, where where it would get distorted by maybe larger companies uh, and the transition. We, what we have tried to do is look at the media of the portfolio, um, so that you know it doesn't get distorted by the extremes. So uh, the median number of interest cover from about two and a half times uh, in 2015 has gone up to roughly about three times in 2019. For those companies where you have consistent data, almost 6,000 companies. So it is fairly uh, representative across, across uh, various uh, sectors. That's what I would, I would kind of uh, uh, say. And, and uh, clearly, I think we've seen uh, across a variety of sectors, you know, companies have been cautious uh, uh, in terms of uh, uh, expanding capacity, uh, you know, uh, so to that extent, uh, you know, we've seen that uh, they, they try to conserve cash or then spend aggressively. So that that is what has uh, helped uh, both in gearing ratios coming down and interest cover. So. Question was on the uh, MSME sector. Uh, I think they're the hardest hit uh, in this. Uh, environment and there's a lot of expert uh, opinion and uh, and the thoughts around what the right uh, relief measure should be uh, for this uh, particular sector. Uh, but as uh, as a veteran having spent time in this uh, space, uh, uh, recommendation or suggestion be what is the what are the right set of measures for for uh, the MSME sector and uh, and uh, having rated about 10,000 odd companies. Uh, uh, how do you see the resilience of these sectors, uh, of this sector to come back? Uh, the equity on, on, on their business is fairly large compared to large market. Yeah, uh, you know, uh, thanks for the question and you're right. Uh, um, uh, MSMEs would be amongst the uh, ones which are, uh, you know, harvested. The larger companies will have uh, the balance sheet power, the financial flexibility to, you know, raise funding, uh, show up the liquidity. Uh, also raise equity uh, capital from where resources are required uh, to, to raise the risk capital, which is, which is, which is uh, critical to see them through in these uh, tough times. Whereas MSMEs, uh, to that extent, will probably not have all those flexibilities. So probably, uh, you know, uh, we will we'll, we'll see a little bit more of an impact on, on them. So clearly, I think, uh, you know, you uh, require some degree of policy uh, support which needs to come in and what form, what shape, etc. I mean, I, I would not be able to hazard a guess, but I think you'll need some degree of, uh, uh, you know, policy support to kind of make sure that, uh, you know, they, they are able to come back, uh, come back to normalcy uh, sooner than later. So that, that's what uh, would be required. But again, uh, you know, a lot of them, once, once activity kind of resumes, 
um you know uh, they, they 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 probably will be able to discover a new normal fee and and uh, uh, uh start generating cash flow so it again depends on how quickly we are able to uh, restart and uh, with what sort of restrictions and uh, uh, so so what sort what sort of capacity utilizations will be able to reach etc so those are important problems at this juncture but uh, yes in, in you know, they they probably you know, will be among some of to be more impacted uh, compared to the larger complex. Got it, Tom. Uh, so, in that context, uh, uh, you all uh, rate companies with the ability and willingness. Uh, and over the years, uh, have you seen the willingness quotient uh, move uh, in, in, a, in a certain way? Where is it today compared to what it may have been uh, 10 years ago or 2008 cycle? I mean, have MSM has evolved? Uh, to an extent where uh, uh, we as uh, stakeholders don't have to worry about uh, willingness as a issue. So clearly, I think uh, two three uh, aspects. Uh, you know, the bureaus have uh, really uh, helped a lot in terms of uh, ensuring that the financial discipline uh, is something which uh, matters and makes a lot of difference. Uh, that is that is uh, one one big differentiator uh, now compared to say the 2007 or 2008 uh, sort of a period. Second is I mean while while uh, not not particularly relevant for MSMEs, but you know if you look at the IDC, uh, uh, you know for the for the first time you've seen uh, very large companies actually uh, the promoters lose control. And uh, the, the companies uh, which are very good quality assets going into uh, somebody else, and and hence there is a fear of uh, you know being thrown out, which which is real. Uh, now banks really have that weapon uh, in their hands. So again, uh, that is something which we believe will will stand at least if the bankers. Uh, uh, will will instill more financial discipline in the corporates uh, compared to what it used to be uh, in the past. Uh, so those are, you know, uh, if you ask me, it's like the, uh, 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 they have worked uh, for the betterment of financial discipline over a span of time. Understood. Uh, one last question, if I may, Stephen. Uh, uh, what would be the number of NBF pieces uh, that are being rated by Crystal today? And how many of those will be uh, in triple B plus and below category, and what would be the rated amount in those uh, in those uh, NBFCs? The so number of companies would be roughly about 200 of them, uh, but uh, the other such in terms of uh, how much would be triple B and uh, uh, above uh, and and uh, quantum of debt is something I don't have the numbers often. Uh, I can again come back to you. Uh, with those numbers they require, but I don't have them often. Uh, just coming back to that uh, LRD uh, discussion that we were having, uh, what's the typical uh, rent escalation that you uh, or, or uh, sort of lenders built in uh, while sort of uh, uh, pricing these assets? Uh, some range, if you could provide, that would be quite useful. And uh, second is the uh, tenure, uh, how typically what's the kind of uh, tenure that these uh, sort of uh, loans are uh, operated at? So, uh, so that's on the LRD question. Uh, and uh, on the second side, uh, uh, on the MSME uh, bit, uh, so uh, I think most of the questions you answered, but just on, in terms of if you were to sort of get a, a sort of a, a package which is, you know, waiving interest for six months or so, uh, 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 would that sort of help the sector uh, sort of uh, uh, in terms of downgrades uh, getting arrested or, or that's not enough? Uh, I mean, some comments around... Uh, whether uh, near-term cash flows being managed through these packages would help, or w what what will be the catalyst uh, for ensuring that, that there are no downgrades? So yeah, those are the questions. Thanks. So on the NRDs, typically what we have seen uh, in the market is uh, you know debt tenors for about of ten to twelve years uh, is, is uh, usually uh, what what is there uh, prevalent in the market. And, uh, you know, we've also seen that uh, quite a few times the companies uh, opt for refinancing. So, it may be 10 to 12 years, but two to, two to three years down the line, uh, they may change the bank and, and go to another bank and then again take a 10 to 12 year loan because the renters have been uh, steady 
uh, in the past and, and say increasing. So that 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 used to be uh, the scenario. And uh, uh, in terms of escalations, I mean, it, it really depends on the contract uh, that that uh, uh, the the owners of the property will have with their tenants. Um, it will be difficult to kind of generalize. It will be uh, you know in line with inflation uh, usually. Uh, it will not be uh, outlandish, but but uh, you know it, in some of them could have every year an escalation. Some of them may have escalation once every three years. It depends on contract to contract. Uh, difficult to sort of uh, generalize. And coming to your question on MSMEs, uh, again, these are more policy related stuff. Uh, if, you, if you ask me, I may not be the right person to answer. What what will be the right policy? But but clearly, I think what is required is you know any any kind of uh, support which is able to um, bring the activity levels back to uh, if not. Uh, uh, near the same level what it used to be, at least close to that. I mean, that's, that's what should be uh, the objective of whatever policy, uh, policy support is, is, uh, coming in. Yes, so, uh, it, it, any, any near term uh, kind of uh, alleviation of pressure in terms of debt servicing, etc., is one aspect, but how it helps them in, in, uh, uh, you know, reviving their operations, kickstarting their operations, uh, getting the cycle back, uh, getting the funds required for starting the cycle. All those are also aspects uh, uh, which which are which are uh, uh, critical. Uh, so any policy which which comes in, if they are able to revise the activity back to uh, near near uh, what what it used to be, I think that would be the most effective in terms of uh, uh, what I would say. Thank you everyone for joining the call today and thank you so much for your insights, uh, really, really appreciate it. Um